Greetings and welcome to the Action Addicts Podcast. This is power. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction on the silver screen Get in the action On the Action Addicts Podcast Hello ladies and gentlemen Welcome back to the show My name is Scott Wiley And you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast Now, first things first I have moved house Which I think I said in the John Wick episode Was happening So this is the new studio and it's uh, it's not actually that noticeable, but it is a little bit noticeable. But I think for the most part, we're going to have no problems recording in this new place. Now, as you will have already seen from the title of today's episode, this is something slightly different. This was originally going to be a bonus episode. Well, actually, to give you the full story, this was originally going to be part of a series of episodes that were going to lead up to the once and always 30th anniversary special. Unfortunately, due to a mix of different things that was happening, both inside and outside of the show, that didn't happen. Uh, some of the people that I wanted to have on for the other episodes, and this episode in fact, were not available given the time frame that they needed to be made in. And it actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise because I had some stuff going on that meant I probably wouldn't have been able to record those episodes. So, yeah. We still made a great 30th anniversary episode, and you guys seemed to really enjoy that one. It got a lot of plays, and I figured that this episode, Forever Red, is probably the only other episode that warrants still being covered as its own thing. And so I decided, who better to have on to talk about this episode than the person who actually wrote it? Amit was the former head writer of Power Rangers during that season. He wrote some of the best episodes for that season. This episode was also directed by Koichi Sakamoto, who is probably the only other person that I would have loved to have get on to talk about this. But in the eventual case where we do have an episode with Koichi Sakamoto, there's a lot of things that uh, we could end up talking about. So... Forever Red probably is better off being given to the writer because Koichi will be here for an eternity talking about the various independent movies he's made, the years and years and years that he was making Power Rangers-esque stuff and the tokusatsu stuff that he helped in Japan plus the independent films that he made in Japan, one of which we're actually going to be doing an episode on in the probably not too distant future, but it's not with Koichi. I'm not that good yet. This episode is taking us all the way back to 2002. If IMDb is to be believed, it was originally aired on October the 5th. And I'm saying if it's to be believed, because as you'll hear as the episode goes on, there's quite a lot of trivia on IMDb that is listed as truth that Amit is going to say, uh, no, it isn't. <laughs> so enjoy that. This episode was originally made to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the show. It had been running for 10 years by this point, and in order to do that, they decided to get every single Red Ranger, sort of, 
up until that point to come back and have this massive, just complete free-for-all where 10 Red Rangers are all fighting, all kicking ass, all sharing quips, and they all morph. It's It's one in a million. There isn't another episode like this in the entire 30-year run of the show. Even the other anniversary episodes are very, very different to this one. This episode has kind of become a lot of people's favorites. It's often ranked in some of the best episodes of the show, and it pretty much consistently always takes top spot as the best team-up episode, because there just isn't another episode like this one. I have kind of cut this down a little bit as it was we we talked for a very long time and I appreciate that uh, Amit was a really great guest to have on and he's a huge action film fan as that will come through very very clearly because we also kind of end up talking about the Fast and Furious films uh, the Resident Evil films and we started to sort of compare to how you would make independent cinema and why certain things are the way they are So I don't think this is the last time you'll hear Amit. I think he'll be back to talk about other stuff. And uh, if you're thinking, yeah, well, you know, you said that about Marshall Teague. Yes, I know I did. And uh, that is definitely still happening. You'll probably hear that one sooner than you think. Also, big shout out to Daniel Southworth, whose voice you heard at the beginning of the episode. I figured this was the best one to use that particular sound clip. Fingers crossed you might hear more from him sometime in the future. We'll have to wait and see. But anyway, guys, I'm going to hand you over now. Enjoy the episode, and I'll see you in the outro. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're here. We're live. We're back in the room. And I actually think that this might be the first time that I've recorded in this room. For this show, anyway. So, this is going to be the experiment to see how good this sounds. So, I apologize to our guest if this episode sounds awful. He will sound great. It'll be me that sounds weird <laughs> after all the post-processing's done. But anyway, as you will have already heard from the intro, I have been joined today by a very special guest. I'm going to let him introduce himself so that I don't get anything wrong. So, would you like to take it from me, please? Sure. My name is Amit Bomik. I was the head writer of Power Rangers uh, for its final season filmed in America, which was Power Rangers Wild Force. And uh, I've written and helped out with a couple other seasons here and there. But um, probably the most famous episode that people might know me from is uh, Forever Red, uh, which was the 10 year anniversary episode that brought back 10 red rangers and um yeah that's uh i think that should pretty much introduce me i i will say as well that yes forever red definitely that is probably true but also reinforcements from the future is also one of my favorite team up episodes ever because you did one of i think it's one of the only team ups and you wrote it where it actually feels like two different shows are meeting up instead of just actors come back immediately they're there problem here problem done episodes over <laughs> so again if you you have a, a talent i think for writing old characters coming back <laughs> thank you i i think it it you know it's it's difficult it requires a lot of work um at the time i 
I hadn't even really seen all of Time Force. Uh, so I had to make sure I watched all of them. You know, I wanted to kind of pick up on the, you know, the rhythms and tropes and whatever, try to get an ear for how the characters talk, think about what, what makes them tick, you know, what were, what were they doing in the previous season and, you know, time force, what were they trying? Where were these characters headed? Like, for example, I think Eric and Wes have a very strong arc in, um, Power Rangers Time Force. So, yep. you know, they went from adversarial to friends again and, you know, partners. So when we pick up on them again in uh, reinforcements for the future, they're, they're past the adversarial part. They're just a unit, they're buddies, you know? And so that was, that was really cool to kind of like take a natural progression of what these two characters would be like. And yeah, also like Rancic kind of taking his character in a different direction um, that also honored what he was and also the arc he went through because it could have it could have been simple to just say Rancic's return, get the Time Force Rangers and let's beat him up. But which is pretty much what every other team up does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that would that would be a huge betrayal because I thought the ending of Time Force was just awesome and. You know, Rancic turning himself in, and it, it's so unexpected because you know Power Rangers were just used to final villain, final explosion, right? He's gonna <laughs> die, and, yeah. And uh, this was, you know, Rancic was always a more complex villain, and it was really cool to bring him back and kind of flip it where he's helpful to the Rangers. But I also didn't want him to be acting like, "Hey, I'm just another Ranger," and you know, I'm your friend <laughs> that's like no there needs to be some uneasiness um there is a lot of bad blood between them you know they they spent like 40 episodes fighting each other so yeah that was really yeah, cool. and from the audience's point of view i know it kind of got undone which was nothing to do with you obviously but rancic his very first episode he kills the red ranger so right from the word go time force made a statement right. that this was not your average series so when Rancic comes into Wild Force, it, the way that, that it's treated, both in the script and how they shot it, this this guy's like a big deal. And there's so many other team-up series where the previous villains almost get treated like a joke. And it's like, no, nah, that's not the way to do it. That's if The, the, the anniversary episodes or the team-up episodes are supposed to be celebrating the past team. Don't start by saying, ah, well, their villains were a joke. We've already beaten them. Nothing really to, to worry about, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think about like um, the Fast and the Furious movies have had a villain, Jason Statham, from I think the seventh one, and then they yeah they take the you know it's an obvious thing from a business perspective of let's bring him back and you know wouldn't it be interesting if he's part of the team or he's friendly? And for me, that was just it was. I mean, I think. Ever since they did that, the franchise has kind of turned because it's too ridiculous for me. Because what he did <laughs> was kind of unforgivable. You know, he didn't he didn't uh, kill one of them and like uh, oh, you know, they were both soldiers for a cause and that was war. No, he hunted down one of them and murdered him <laughs> and wow. made a phone call. He, made a he phone did. Call. 
but obviously <laughs> if you've seen the new one right yeah they've, they've since undone that but they didn't know that when they were hanging out with him at the barbecue no yeah i mean not to go off on a tangent although this show is kind of known for it but yes the fact that the Fast and Furious started absorbing all of their villains into the team. I yeah. mean, I, I really like Dwayne Johnson. I know at the moment he's getting a lot of flack for stuff not quite hitting, but when he played the bad guy, or arguably the good guy, depending on your point of view, in Fast 5, I really liked that character. But once they... Awesome. If you go back and rewatch it, it's jarring how different he is in that film to how he is in like Fast 7 or even Fast 6, because yeah. with every film, he's just turning back into The Rock. But when he yeah. started, <laughs> he had a character. And I think that's true with all of them. Statham, when he started, he was the brother of the villain from well, Fast 6, maybe. Um, if that's yeah. how bad it is. I can't even remember. But that now he's just, oh, he's just Statham being Statham, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the thing i loved about fast and the period of sevens not to talk about it too much but i always call it it's a jason statham movie in reverse where in jason statham movies he kills just all these cronies and goons and whatnot fast and the furious seven takes one of those guys and <laughs> shows no this guy had a family he had friends and now they want revenge and you know uh yeah it's like he's killing a bunch of Hans in every movie. <laughs> so there's a chance to explore. What if those people had uh, had people they cared about? So taking us back on topic for a moment, you were saying how much research you had to do in order to do reinforcements from the future. That does kind of lead me to an obvious question, which is that was just one season. But Forever Red brought back a ranger from every season at that point. Yeah. How on earth did you prepare to write something like that? So it came from growing up with the show. Uh, I was a fan from Mighty Morphin season one. And so, you know, I watched it from the beginning. I eventually kind of drifted away with Lost Galaxy. Um, then when I came back to work on the show, I made sure I did a crash course and watched everything and familiarized myself with it. Um, so I, I had been doing like 10 years of research in a way to write Forever Red. And that it so just... To clarify, you'd seen, like naturally watched Mighty Morphin, Zeo, Turbo, In Space, Lost Galaxy. Okay, yeah. that explains, that kind of explains a lot, to be honest, because that's not, yeah. Lost Galaxy was a pretty good point to dip out, in my opinion. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and so watching it as a fan, I always had my own things I daydreamed about. Like, where did Serpentera go? You know, are the machine empire... How are you an empire if you're just, like, four royals on a moon and whatever army they had? You know, don't they have, like, something else out there? Like, is this just a beachhead of a bigger empire? So, you know, all these thoughts you have and daydreaming, etc. Uh, that really helped um with writing forever red and trying to find a natural way to bring the rangers together that also felt like yeah this, this is a power rangers episode and so i also structured forever red thinking take a mighty morphin power rangers episode like season one where it's the reverse so mighty morphin power rangers episodes are 
Rita is on the moon. She sees the Rangers and she sends a monster down there to, you know, cause trouble. This is the Rangers are taking the fight to the enemy. So they're going to the moon. And, you know, instead of blowing up Angel Grove and having a big fight in the city, they're fighting out there. And so um, I also took inspiration from things like the Dirty Dozen and sort of um, movies about like a team coming together. And once I started thinking along those lines, Forever Red started to, you know, come together. And we had a couple of ideas and drafts and they just weren't really going anywhere. Um, and I, I can I just interrupt you slightly. Sure. Is one of those drafts uh, the version that went around the internet? I don't know if you put it up, but I've I've read an alternate version of the script where they sort of come together by chance. There's no Serpentera, and uh, Tommy and Jason meet at like a clothing stand, making comments about what color T-shirt they should pull off the rack. Yeah, I I have a a blog, uh, AhmedBamik.tumblr.com, and I have an article about Forever Red there, which I. I even put uh, some scans of those earlier versions, and so yeah, that yeah. does sound like like one of them. It it was yeah, it was pretty bad. It was just like they randomly meet each other, and like oddly enough, it is the plot of the Super Mega Force uh, ending, the reunion, where yeah. you would see these old Rangers just randomly in the city, and then they happen to come together for a fight in a rock quarry at the end. So that kind of was that original idea. And <laughs> yeah, I hated that. And thankfully we didn't do it. Unfortunately for later seasons that. <laughs> <they did>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what, how did it evolve from that into what it became then? Was that a team effort or was that something that you had the vision of? And that's what you had to try and push through to other people. Yeah, so with Forever Red, it was um, me, Jonathan Sikor, the producer, and uh, Koichi Sakamoto, the director. We always were the the core story meetings for Power Rangers Fall Force. And so we did a lot of meetings and just brainstorming. And so Koichi had kind of an original pitch, which, you know, we didn't really, it wasn't really working. And then Jonathan had a pitch and my pitch was essentially what you see. The only difference was instead of robots and the moon, it was um, kind of like rogue cultist aliens on a volcano planet trying to resurrect Dark Spectre. And yes, we yeah. changed that to Machine Empire because Koichi told me, well, we have these robot suits and so we're going to use them. And I didn't know what those robot suits were at the time, but <laughs> that's why the big were. bad Beetleborgs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they looked they looked oddly familiar. What I always loved about that decision, though, I mean, I can only go on what I said in interviews. You're probably gonna sit there quietly and go, "No, that wasn't the case." But I remember someone asked. I think it might have been Koichi in a separate interview about that, and he because because everyone always assumes it's a cost cutting method. And he was like, well, yes, obviously it's cheaper to reuse the suits, but we deliberately picked them because we knew that you 
you nerds essentially would know their Beetleborgs and get a kick out of it. So it worked. You're still talking about it 20 years later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is that twofold reason. It wasn't like he went to Sam's Halloween rentals and just picked up robot costumes. It, you know, it was robot costumes of high quality from Toei Productions that that you know would be consistent with the show and and real hardcore fans would know hey that's b fighter you know that's beetleborgs i love that you called it b fighter then there's a there's a very small niche of this audience that's going to understand that and the vast majority will not and i'm going to leave them in suspense <laughs> <laughs> so i do have a um a, we're, we're i'm going to keep most of this conversation to the script because i realize obviously asking you about the episode itself whilst we could definitely talk about that you were mostly in charge of the story. So sure. I I am going to ask the obvious questions that I think there are answers out there for, but I'm going to try and have them all in one place. Yeah. When you wrote the episode, did you know, and, and was it written as a one-episode script? Because yes. there are so many conflicting stories about I heard you say yes, but because there are so many conflicting stories about that, and it's like, I want them to die, because... The misinformation yes, I, about how some of these things get made is insane. There is so much misinformation out there. I I met someone who said, oh, wow, you know, Forever Red, before I get into it, I know it was supposed to be more than one episode. And I'm thinking, okay, right off the bat, you're wrong. <laughs> and you're telling the guy who wrote it that I know it was this. It's like, I'm sorry, but you've been misinformed. Um it definitely would have been greater to have it be longer, but we always knew this was going to be a single episode. It was just the way it was planned for the season and the budget. I mean, it was basically the budget of a regular episode of, of Power Rangers. It was a little more because I think we kind of, we combined filming it with, can't remember which episode. It's the one where Zenaku returns and, and uh, Merrick and him fight. It's the last Zenaku episode. And that one was, it had a lot of Japanese footage, which meant this is going to be easier and cheaper to film because we don't need to film too much. And so that leftover budget could kind of go on to Forever Red. Oh, okay. That, that's, that's interesting. Because I'm, I'm going to say something you're probably not going to like, but Wild Force isn't one of my favorite shows. It's not Wild Force's fault. That was around about the time when I was kind of phasing out. And I'll never forget when I turned on the TV one morning by complete accident and I saw 10 Red Rangers and my brain melted and I went, what have I been missing? <laughs> and then I had yeah. to go and track down the rest of Wild Force. And I was like, oh, okay, it's literally just one episode. But that's irrelevant. Yeah. But the point was, I I remember those, those sort of almost solo Merrick episodes. And now that you've just said that, it kind of explains now why, like you say, it's if you're going to use the Japanese footage, but also you've only got one main actor for the vast majority of the time, that money can go to another episode so that they can do yeah. more American shot stuff, which Wild Force did have a fair amount of. Yeah, we um, we normally film the episodes in what we call units, where it would be like uh, three episodes filmed together or two episodes filmed together. And... That really helps because you can combine the way you're filming stuff. So, for example, 
we have an episode where we're going to the beach, right? We're going to film something. And then it's only one page or it's not very long. And we're thinking, well, we got to get everyone all the way out there just to film this one thing. Well, take a look at that other episode. We have a scene that takes place in the park. It's like, can that be the beach too? Then we'll film that scene while we're there as well. And so it really helps to combine the episodes for a production uh, standpoint. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm pretty sure that they still do the three unit filming to this day because I've tried explaining to people so many times about the difference between suit actor and actor and everyone in action film hates having to explain the difference between first and second unit and Power Rangers just complicated it by having a third unit. But I'm not I'm not going into the minutiae of all that, but we we know what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And even if you're going to film your own little like if you're going to film a movie or an independent movie or something, you know, you, figuring out your schedule and when you're going to film stuff, how long you're going to be there, that really is important. Now, this next question, um, you might not know the answer to because I don't know. Like I said, this is more just stuff I know that gets um, perpetuated online. The villains of the episode were all pretty much voiced by former Power Ranger actors. Some of whom had basically no lines. They just go, yeah. But there is like, like Catherine Sutherland is one of those. Um, but there's a consistent piece of trivia. If you, if it's right, but um, if you say it's wrong, then it's just more misinformation that she was originally supposed to appear in the episode as Tommy's wife. Is that, no. uh, yet another fake thing? No, that wasn't true. Um, we wanted to have Amy Joe Johnson show up. At the very end, oh, okay. And she was gonna like come in a like a pink convertible or something and pick up Tommy, and she would leave with him. We could have possibly done that, you know, with Catherine Sutherland, sort of implying that, oh, okay, this is his wife or whatever. Uh, but yeah, the the thinking at the time was more Kimberly than than Catherine. Interesting. That that definitely would have had. Oh my god. The, yeah. Sorry, my fandom brain is exploding at the thought prospect of that, given what eventually happened in the New Zealand episodes and the comics, where they pretty much implied that Tommy and Kat got married. And the reaction to that is nauseating. So if you guys had already set him up with Kimberly when they did that, yeah. oh my God, Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I was a day one Power Rangers fan and... You know, I was always more partial to Tommy and Kimberly. And uh, I remember at the time when Kat came around, there was a sort of feeling like, who is this home record? <laughs> <You know? laughs> See, what I'm enjoying about this is that um, I'm not going to go through the list because most of it I know doesn't matter anyway. But it's like that Catherine Sutherland fact is number one on IMDb trivia about the episode. And it's not even true. Yeah, and 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 I I I don't even need you to tell me this isn't true. But just as an example, number four is that Leo the Red Lost Galaxy Ranger was going to die, and I read that and just went, "It's Power Rangers." I don't yeah. even need to ask to know that's not true. Yeah, no way. And I mean, imagine you only have like a twenty-two minute episode, and one <laughs> we bring back a character, so we have to reintroduce him. He does something, has some combat or whatever, and then dies and then you also need to give that death weight and have characters react to it born it it's like it's going to be a lot more than than 20 minutes aside from the fact that yeah we're not going to kill 
<laughs> Leo, we're not going to kill any of these guys. No. Um. So, obviously, when you were originally writing the episode, was it important to you that every character has a little bit of a moment? Because one of the reasons why I enjoy Forever Red so much, and I, I, I think this is true for a lot of people, but it's definitely the reason why I enjoy it, is that every single actor portraying one of those characters gets to remind everybody that they can fight in civilian form and yeah. then they get to basically do it again when they morph and then the ranger forms get these huge over-the-top set pieces some of which are baked in with references which i don't know how much of that was in the script and how much of that was in shooting but in terms of the format of every character is going to get like a few seconds to show off just to themselves was that something that you really wanted to make sure they all had. Absolutely. It's one of my biggest regrets in that Orico is sort of the sore thumb just sticking out like, okay, why doesn't that guy take off his helmet? You know, and why doesn't he at least have a character moment if he's not going to demorph? There was, it, it's one of the unfortunate things where we didn't have Leo and we didn't have Orico. So yeah. Yeah, they were going to yeah, show Danny, up. Danny Slavin was busy being a lawyer at the time. So yeah. even to this day, I watched, just to clue people in who don't even know this, Danny Slavin, the actor that played Leo, was not actually on set with anyone else. He was added in by the magic of green screen. There's only one scene where you can tell, because if you're really quick, you could spot that he demorphs, morphs, and then remorphs again. But I watched two people react to Forever Red this week, not a single person noticed that he wasn't actually there. And I'm uh, to this day, I'm still like, see, if you don't know, it doesn't stick out to you. It's done really well. Yeah, I'm amazed how well that turned out. Because when we heard episodes later after we finished making Forever Red that, oh, Danny Slavin's now available. So let's film him like in a jungle pulling out a sword, maybe. And we're going to do some green screen stuff and insert him. So come up with something for him to say or do. I really was against the idea because I didn't think it would work. Nowadays, most major movies are filmed that way where they'll film the actors separately and just stitch it all together in a green screen. Like all the Marvel movies uh, are heavily done that way. Also, my one piece of sort of character for Orico made it through was sort of cut. Originally, the red galaxy and red alien ranger land and they're like leo orico you're just in time and orico then says sorry i always forget to turn right at the andromeda galaxy and then they <laughs> which is like a corny like bucks bunny kind of joke but it's also the kind of joke mighty Morphin power rangers is known for and then they all kind of laugh then venjik stands and they do their pose where all 10 of them are lined up so we we shot Danny Slavin uh, with a stunt double for Andros. So you have like a guy in a wig. Just you see his back as he's talking to Aunt, uh, Leo. And, you know, he demorphs and we stitch him over a plate of all 10 Rangers lined up. Uh, I think, yeah, when Venjix rushes in, the camera zooms out. You see the 10 Red Rangers kind of like file out. That's where you can spot that. Yeah. Hey, Leo's still morphed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it. The camera zooms in, and he demorphs and says, "Andrews, we got here as soon as we could." And then Venjix immediately comes in, 
And he's like, what? And then, yeah. as you say, when the camera pulls out, it's not when they're all stood together. It's that moment where they all turn to face him. And again, it's blink and you'll miss it. It's only if you know to look for it, you'll suddenly go, hang on, there's two red spandex clad people again. And then you're like, ah, yes, that makes sense. When you actually know the behind the scenes behind Leo. But again, has, it's really impressive. I'm hesitant to say, but there's actually one other spot in the episode where you can see Leo's not there. <laughs> and that's the end where they all have their fists together. And yes. Tommy's thinking. Yeah, yeah. Them. He's, he's missing. Yeah. There's like a underneath shot and there's eight fists, eight people lined up when there's supposed to be nine people in the scene. <laughs> but you know what? I know he's not there and I still don't register it because you're just yeah. so into it at that at that moment. It's Forever Red is such a surreal experience if you're a fan or even if you're not and you're just watching it for the crazy action scenes because Koichi directed the hell out of this episode. Yeah. It has some... Some of the stuff in Forever Red would then go on to become what Hollywood major blockbusters would do for standard. I'm looking at you, Zack Snyder, in 300. And Forever Red was doing it three, four, five years earlier. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It was, It was. Um. you know, Koichi really... I, I talked to him a lot about, with Orico, us not having him that, you know... And Koichi doesn't need to be told this because he's a Sentai, just encyclopedia. But we knew, yep. at the very least, the Red Alien Ranger, we want to honor the Kaku Ranger sort of monkey-style uh, fighting for some of his poses and the weird like ninja comedy where he's like teleporting around and almost having fun during the fight. So I was happy we at least got that, that moment for him. To be honest, the very first time I watched it, I'd have been disappointed if he didn't do that because... Even though, yes, the Alien Rangers were different, very different to the Kaku Ranger, they yeah. still had the ninja motif. And that whole Mighty Morphin Season 3 was all about the ninja motif. So like you say, that traditional ninja technique of just sliding across the screen out of the way of danger, it's just so ingrained to me that that's what those characters do, that the second he did that, I know that the suit actors aren't the same people that were playing them in Japan, but everybody played those characters so well and got the poses just right that it felt like they'd been brought back from whatever year it was that they'd last played the role, you know? Yeah. Kaku Ranger, I think, might have even been my favorite Sentai, so that was really important to, to do that. Okay. There you go. Tidbit of information. We now know your favorite Sentai season, and <laughs> I'm sure the internet will judge you for the end of time for it. But Kaku Ranger is very popular, so... <laughs> Can't go wrong with ninjas, I think, is the, the best way of putting it. They've done, like, three other ninja shows since, so. Yeah, that, that's the only problem. They do the ninja and dinosaur motif too much, I think. It's just, it seems like every other season's one of those. Uh, I would like a little more variety. Well, the problem is, is and, and this is, uh, this is, again, a bit off topic, but in terms of Power Rangers, they, especially now, they kind of avoid any of the Sentai shows that try to do variety. And the Sentai ratings aren't what they used to be in Japan either. So they kind of go all over the place. I mean, they've got some really insane shows, but Power Rangers has deliberately stepped around them and just gone back to the safe season that they would inevitably do afterwards. I mean, I'm sure you've seen them and I don't need to explain it, but there's so many people out there that are mad that they're not doing... Um, the, the next season isn't going to be 
adapting the one where there's like 15 rangers uh, in space. And then there's another season where it's like cops and robbers, where there's three rangers that are police, three rangers that are thieves. And they're like, why don't they adapt that? And, I th- and I'm thinking they're probably because they want something that's easy. Because the headache of trying to come up with a television show for kids in the West, where three of your main characters are breaking the law, and the other three are police, just, nah. Uh, you know? <laughs> it, it's, though it's too, uh, it's too appealing to resist for, for me. I'm like, that is, okay, that's creative. That is awesome. And just the idea of, like, gentleman, thief, Lupin, ranger, Okay, yes, I've been complaining there's too many dinosaurs and too many ninjas. And this is, that's also kind of an archetype that's very popular, I think, in uh, definitely in Japan, but it has to be France as well. Uh, yeah. Because that's where Lupin's from. And I think that that gentleman thief archetype is, you know, it's, 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 um, I think it's a universal one. I think even countries that might not be too familiar with it, once they see it, they'll get it. I mean, Sailor Moon was really popular worldwide. Yep. And it has that that character with a tuxedo mask and the Persona 5 video game series is all based on Lupin and the Gentleman Thief. Yeah. It, yeah. Japan really likes their classical li- literature. I was Ironically, I was listening to a video game podcast this week when they were talking about that very subject. There are so many video games and so many anime adaptations of classic literature with their own spin on it, don't get me wrong. Like the Persona games is a great example of that. But there's way more of them than you think. Like they are strangely really well versed in those French literature, in classic literature of like the 1800s, 1700s. It's, it's quite fascinating to see and think, how did you get hold of that and like gravitate towards it when you're so far <laughs> away from where it was written, you know? Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, just growing up with like anime and stuff like that, I could be introduced to a lot of stuff through that. And so I'd go out and check out these books. Like, what were they referencing? You know, what is that? So going back to, to the episode itself, there there's a question that I want to really know the answer. Well, there's two questions I want to know the answer to. Number one, which is probably easier to answer. Obviously, you ended up having to film originally missing the actor for Leo. But when you wrote it, did you know who you had? Or was it a case of you wrote it assuming that you could have everyone? We knew who we had. Okay. So we were reaching out to everyone and we couldn't get in touch with Danny Slavin. Uh, we couldn't get in touch with uh, Steve Cardenas. Um, so I'm going to have to stop you there. Have you heard his side of this story? Yeah, I, I think I have. Uh so basically, uh, Steve has been asked this question so many times, like over the years, and apparently he was contacted to be in it and agreed to it, but then he moved house and never. Then back, this was back in the day when if you move house, you you know if you don't leave a forwarding address or a new contact number, poof, right. you might as well, you've disappeared. You're you're somewhere completely different on the planet, and so you guys couldn't find him. But this has always been an interesting question in that case since you brought it up. If you could have had Steve Cardenas, how would you have integrated him into the episode if Jason was also in it? I have no idea. <laughs> well, I mean, I have. Okay. Idea, <laughs> I like. I wanted Jason to be Red Mighty Morphin, so I wouldn't have wanted to have two of the same Ranger. 
we might have contrived a way to say he's the Red Alien Ranger because Rocky did uh-huh. know the Alien Rangers, and so he's just borrowing the powers or whatever. Or you know, we might say something like Rocky because I also think Rocky was he evolved to be kind of a funny character uh, in Zio. He he had a lot of funny moments, so I could totally see him doing something. You know, like I don't know, he's hanging out on Aquatar with the Alien Rangers, and and uh, you know now he's the only human member of them or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you know, n- n- this is irrelevant. We're talking about an episode that aired over twenty years ago, but I mean, Billy was on Aquatar anyway, so it really wouldn't be a stretch for to sure. come up with a reason for why Rocky would go to Aquatar. You know, it's like now that you've said that, that makes that's such an interesting thought, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that seems to be the neatest way and probably with, you know, I, I I mean, there's still some disappointment. We couldn't get the real original work of, but I think most people would be happy with with a solution like that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it would have been interesting as well, because. It would have given the team up, well, <laughs> something that we've not seen before. The team up itself is something we've never seen before or since. But you know what I mean? It's like a transformation that only happens once. And just for this episode would have been just another reason to have this one always come on the top of everyone's list. But um, yeah. okay. So I think it would have made a lot of sense. Oh, I was just going to say because writing Forever Red, I also kind of wanted to say these Rangers are in a slightly different place than where we last left them. So Jason appears a little different. He's like riding his motorcycle. He's there's a bit of tension between him and uh, some of the Rangers. Like, what has this guy been up to? And wait a minute, how do you even have your powers again? Like, well, he doesn't exist in limbo until he's called upon. He's off doing whatever. Same with uh, we never saw Leo become, or not Leo, we never saw Wes become a Silver Guardian, but it makes sense that he, you know, joined them. And so him and Eric are running the Silver Guardians when we see them again in Wild Force. Though maybe they mentioned it at the end of Time Force. And you just never saw him in the uniform. But, yeah, yeah, you, you never see him in the uniform, but they, they I think it ends with him saying you know if i join if i join it's going to change or something like that but like you say it was never shown right yeah and so seeing rocky in a different state than where we left him that would have been uh i think a, a logical and an interesting way to to show yeah i mean it's funny you mentioned all of that about jason because that was actually going to be that was my second question was of all of the rangers that appear in the episode, I think Jason, his personality is the most different, probably because it's the one we, he's the, the furthest back. So he's had the furthest to go forward, but yeah. his whole attitude towards like Cole and towards the other rangers is so different than what some people might be expecting. But at the same time, he does have my favorite line in the entire episode, which is, uh, if you miss King Mondo that much, I promise I can help you join him. And I just, I miss that. You, you'd never find writing like that in, in any of the modern series. <laughs> I love that because that's the closest we've ever had a ranger threatening to kill someone. <laughs> exactly. And it makes so much sense. It's Jason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The thinking with Jason was 
I wanted to write to the strengths of the actors. And I think Austin really did well playing Jason with a bit of edge. So even from the days of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, it's funny that this like martial artist, this, you know, buff dude who's occasionally kind of beating up Bulk and Skull, not, not quite, but, you know, tricking them into falling into a cake or whatever. It was weird how he would be that one moment. And then he's this goody two shoes with the same morality of like Kimberly or Billy. Yeah. When he returned in Zeo, it was very strange how Tommy was like bringing this guy across the desert, wearing a duster and a bandana and sunglasses. It looked like he broke him out of prison. I know. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, where did you find Jason? What has he been up to? And life's been rough since the peace conference, man. Exactly. And so I, <laughs> I went, I was thinking along those lines that, yeah, Jason, you know, he, he, he does things like, you know, maybe he gets into fights and bars, you know, maybe he's, uh, he's walking the other side of the law some of the time for, um, superhero reasons. Not, not like yeah, he's, you yeah. know, doing some criminal stuff, but, uh, the idea was he's a little cockier also to contrast him against Cole, Cole being the newest Red Ranger. And yeah, I, I, I know he was real happy with the way uh, Jason was written. And uh, I, I think he was awesome at it. No, I mean, I've shown over the years, I've shown so many people the episode who didn't know it existed. And yeah. Don't get me wrong, they they freak out when Tommy walks in and he gets the music and the slow motion close-up, which is, again, another great moment. But yeah. it's another thing entirely when that Harley rolls up and every single person turns to me and says, is that who I think it is? It's like, well, yeah. it might be. And then as soon as they realize it's Jason, they, they lose the plot. It's like, yeah. <laughs> especially with, as time goes on, being the original is something special in and of itself. And it doesn't matter what else happens, that lore of being the first is always going to stick with you. And I think the way that he was portrayed in Forever Red and the symmetry between him and Tommy both having those leather jackets, but one's black and one's tan was perfect because they're so similar until they take the jackets off and then they look completely different. And I I thought that was really clever. Yeah, there was a funny line that also is part of his arc. I think at the very end, when Serpentera blows up, Jason says, I got to admit, you did well, rookie. So in the script, it was, I got to admit, you did good, rookie. And when Austin St. John was doing the ADR, I was there in the room with him. And he said, well, you know, can I change this line? Like, you did good is not really proper English. And, <laughs> you know, my mom's going to be watching this. And and I thought, you know, I really want you to say it this way. But you know what? You are a valuable contributor to this. You are the original Red Ranger. I, I'm definitely going to honor it. I'm not going to pick a fight over this. Uh, whatever you feel is more appropriate, even if I disagree at the moment. You're going to, you know... We got to hear your input. We got to include it. That's a, that's pretty cool to hear. I mean, I imagine 
I mean, maybe he told you, I don't know, but it, I imagine that that just that small thing probably meant a lot to him, given that that is probably not the experience he had on Mighty Morphin, where, you know, it's, yeah, uh, absolutely. it wasn't, yeah, wasn't open to collaboration. Yeah, especially, yeah, with, I mean, all the Rangers had been at various times undervalued, uh, but particularly Austin, Walter, and Twee. So, yeah, I, it, he was doing us a huge favor coming back. All these people were. So I was eternally grateful that any of them would come back. And so, yeah, I was committed to not screw it up, to make them look good, make them look the way they wanted to. Uh, and, you know, so was Koichi. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy that they, I, I, I'm happy it turned out well, I think. So speaking of people that came back, was it always part of your plan to bring back Bulk and Skull, who were not Red Rangers? Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, it was just a bonus. Like, if we could work in some lighter, funnier moments. And so having Bulk and Skull, that was cool. We wanted to, you know, sneak in Kimberly if we could. So, yeah, it was, we, we even had a, a longer scene with the Wild Force Rangers uh, that we had to cut entirely but that that totally made sense after we were editing it that hey this is only going to eat up time from the main course let's um let's just cut it and you're going to get plenty more wild force rangers next week yeah yeah i think uh i think i might have actually seen some of that because i don't know if you saw it or i don't even know if it's still out there but somebody i don't know if it's a camera guy but someone like has all the reels of what was filmed in the camera and they put them all on YouTube. Cause I oh, remember wow. <laughs> be- because, um, the reason why I started watching them, cause A, I didn't believe they were real. And then it was very obvious very quickly they were because it had Jason Franks and Austin St. John's fights against the cogs, but all of their takes. So the amount of times Austin didn't backflip, but also it showed that there was much more to that choreography. That was obviously cut because of time. And then I think some of the extended Wild Force scene where um, Carter shows up to talk to them is in there as well. Can't hear what they're saying, of course, but it's like, oh, so there was clearly some longer scenes to this. (laughs) I think I might even have them, but they're like on a VHS or something. And I don't think I even have a VCR that can play it. But yeah, I might look into trying to digitize some of that. There was a deleted scene with Cole and Alpha on the mega ship, which I I was really partial to, but I think it didn't come out quite as well once we filmed it versus what was on the page. It was it was just basically a Jungle Boy in space kind of comedic moment where he meets a robot, and you know, there's a guy who was born in the jungle. He's never been on an airplane, let alone a spaceship, and now he's meeting a robot. So it's just kind of like, yeah, acknowledging that for him. I always found it funny that you guys managed to get Richard to come back to voice Alpha, and he says one line. And I always thought, was there more? And you've just yes. kind of confirmed that. <laughs> yeah, there was more. And in that scene, he didn't have a line in the script. But that was something we worked out in the ADR, thinking, can we sneak in a line? And it says, like, it's already Tommy or whatever, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, that's, that's again, something that people, in fact, you might be able to answer this for me, because it sounds like you were very involved in the making of this. But seeing Tommy, Jason, and Alpha 6, I think, no, 7, that one was. Uh, um, Yeah. yeah. But seeing them on the set of the Astro Mega Ship was such a weird thing. I know it was technically the Mark II, but it was the Astro Mega Ship set. So, but did you guys have to like rebuild that or did you still have bits of it on? Oh, you did. Okay. We had, uh, we might have had some like wall components or something, but yeah, we had to build that all. We basically built the conference room and a little hallway. And so the hallway was where Cole and Alpha's scene took place. And then the hall, I mean, the, the conference room was a, you know, where they're talking about Serpentera. Yeah, because I'll be honest, that conference room scene stands up so well. Like, so much production. I mean, I've always said the Power Rangers, especially in space, has amazing set quality. Um, yes, there, there's the occasional ropey bit, but even the old command center looks amazing still, unless you upscale it, but that's not fair. You can't moan at it for not knowing that we could have things in high definition in 16 by 9 when... They filmed standard definition is all that we could have. So the fact that, you know, you've got this sci-fi set with 10 different actors from 10 different seasons. You've got an alpha unit that's all lit up, which is something that later reunions couldn't manage, I will add. Uh, So well done for that. But the fact that it almost feels like you're setting up for another season, not just this random one-off episode. I mean, the holographic display of showing that old footage of the Machine Empire Serpentera, the way that every ranger gets a line and then Jason gets to be the one to say Serpentera. Yeah. It, it, I do find it funny rewatching it because I rewatched it for this to make sure I, I remembered everything. Sure. And, and I'm going to have to say this, and I, I suspect you know what I'm about to say. The amount of money that was spent on this is amazing right up until the point Serpentera takes off. And the thing <laughs> is, I don't even think it would look that bad if you hadn't made a point of showing us how good Serpentera looked back in Mighty Morphin on the conference room hologram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I yeah, the CG CG always ages badly, but yeah, it probably didn't look that great at the time too. It yeah, I I actually don't like CG almost any time. I prefer practical effects always. And so um, Mighty Morphin and Die Ranger, that Serpentera just being a practical like effect, that dragon, is still one of the coolest looking mecha designs I've ever seen. And yeah, the, the CG doesn't... Well. Sorry, I was just going to quickly add, the thing with yeah. Serpentera as well is the scale of it was was totally yes. lost in the CG because yes. it's it's you know Cole's bike just about fits in his mouth and it, yeah. you're sat there going the Thunderzord <laughs> could barely reach its knee so the yeah. scale of him has been completely lost here. <laughs> Those scenes in um, Mighty Morphin season two where Serpentera like destroys like a planet or whatever, yeah, with the red sky, they feel like the end of days you know they feel like this is it this thing's going to destroy the world you know yeah yep. it's so awesome that scale is not <laughs> quite captured with the cg so yeah it, that 
that's some of the show's cheapness uh, showing through. But again, it wasn't particularly expensive for a Power Rangers episode. It, the budget was it was more than your average episode, but it wasn't like we had several times the budget. No, no. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I understand that. It, it was more the fact of you guys did so much work with the practical side of things that it's just unfortunate because the CG stands out. Whereas yeah. I don't know what you could have done. Like I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, you could have done this, but it's just, it's just annoying because, like you say, everything else has aged really well. I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna lie, the Separate Terror annoyed me in 2001. I remember quite, quite clearly thinking that, but it, I could accept that because the rest of the episode's so good, it, it doesn't matter. But when you were writing the episode, was it always the intention to have Serpentera be taken out by a motorcycle? So, ideally, what would have happened is you have a Megazord fight. You could have contrived something where all oh, we're seeing all the Zords from other seasons, but I don't think that would have fit the kind of uh, urgency of the situation. So, Astro Megazord um, versus Serpentera yeah. might have uh, sufficed. However, writing the script, and this was a quick turnaround, like I had a day to write it. I knew at that point from my outline, like Serpentera needs to blow up. Yeah, okay, it's not going to be the Astro Mega Ship. It's going to be the motorcycle. That was partially something to appease Bandai. You know, Bandai always wants us to showcase these products. And that motorcycle was not something we were using a whole lot. So... Okay, here's a way to, you know, uh, keep them happy, showcase it, uh, even if it's a little anticlimactic that that little motorcycle destroyed it. But at the very least, it went inside it. So once you go inside something, all bets are off. <laughs> You're blowing up anything. <laughs> Do you know what? It's crazy to hear how much effort went into remaking the old stuff, because not only did you remake the Astro Megaship, which I know you're saying you only read at the conference hall, but even so, it's a really good set, but also yeah. you remade the Serpentera set. And I think that thing was in maybe, what, five episodes at most, but it <laughs> looks exactly the same. I've seen it so many times that I just sit there and think, do they just have these rooms in storage and someone just forks lift them out? Because it's crazy to me how fast that, like, a proper uh, set production team can rebuild stuff to look identical to things from 10 years ago. Yeah, I think with Serpentera, Serpentera was easier to build because I think it's, there's a lot less components and we sort of only film it from the front. So. Uh, it doesn't need to be too detailed or too complicated. And so we, yeah, if, if we had any elements left, like the same chair or whatever, that would have helped. But I think a lot of that can be replaced or mocked up, uh, fairly easily. And thankfully it didn't, yeah, thankfully it didn't look, uh, like it didn't match. No, no, it looked, it looked great. The only thing that, um, and this took me a couple rewatches to even realize, the only thing that does stand out to me now is the set where the Machine Empire had like their base, because it's the exact same factory that reinforcements from the Future's final fight <laughs> takes in, just yeah. minus the Machine Empire emblems. But also, and I can't believe that this never bothered me until someone else pointed it out, why are there desks? 
<laughs> Why? There's a, there's a scene where um, Eric kicks the cog yeah. into a, like a desk, like from like right. a school, and I'm like, why does the Machine Empire have desks like made in America? <laughs> but again, you don't. It, that's just nitpicking. But it's just so funny when you rewatch it and you notice this. You go, hang on, why do they have ra- a random desk? There? <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a power plant in I think El Segundo, California. I was actually there on set when we were filming Eric flipping around with the desk and Okay. I I I just went with it. <laughs> it's it's something there. Maybe there's a story, maybe a robot was working at it. <laughs> I mean that would be a, a hilarious explanation. You could make a great comic book about that. Just a, a random cog doing his, his work, his paperwork, and the Power Rangers bust in and he's like, not this again. <laughs> but um, yeah, Daniel Southworth, his voice will probably be introing this episode because ages ago I got him to record something for the show and I've never used it. But this feels like the appropriate episode to finally oh. use it for. Yeah. Yeah, I love Dan. I got to say, like, Daniel Southworth, Austin St. John, Jason David Frank, the three of them, I mean, don't get me wrong, the other guys are still really good, but you can just tell those three ain't got doubles. And that just makes so much difference when you're watching like the fantasy of these guys going to the moon and fighting cogs. You know what I mean? Those, those three have always been re- like entertaining to watch. That's the way I, oh, that's what I want to say. Those, yeah, those three are cut from a different cloth. They're the kind of like action stars and the sort of movies we grew up with. And, you know, it's frankly a crime that. They're not in movies every other year, you know, because I would love to see a ton with... I completely agree. I mean, unfortunately, obviously, as everybody listening will know, because we did an episode specifically for him, Jason David Frank is no longer with us. But Austin and Dan and Jason, back when he was still alive and kicking, I was always advocating for these guys to get more roles. I mean, Dan has had quite a few over the years, but again... They're either minor roles or they're or they're big roles in films that not a lot of people have seen. But yeah. Austin just, I mean, he should have been in way more stuff. I don't know what happened there. I, I know some of his hangups because I've spoken to him directly about it. And it just comes down to the fact that he doesn't like Hollywood. And it's like, well, unfortunately, I don't think many people who work in Hollywood do, but they want to make films. So they just do it. If you're not prepared to do that, you're kind of wasting your time. Yeah, I, I think I like Scott Adkins. He he sort of occupies this sort of space where I'm like, Jason Frank should have had like that kind of uh, resume of just all those movies, you know. And I, I've always sort of thought of Scott Adkins like he's the British Jason Frank. <laughs> <laughs> that okay, that's interesting. I mean, I'm going to probably upset a few people when I say this, but I do like Jason David Frank. I met the guy three times. Scott Adkins is definitely the better actor of the two of them, but I do agree with you that I've seen JDF in other films. I've seen him in Full Guy. I've got my DVD of Full Guy signed by him. Uh, I I unfortunately watched The One Warrior. I've seen pretty much everything he did that wasn't Power Rangers, and it frustrated me because there was talent there, and I think that's actually true for all of those original five. I mean, Twee could 
act very, very well when she had a few roles outside of Power Rangers. Amy Jo Johnson's roles are in the hundreds. Again, maybe not always the biggest, but she's always puts in a good performance. And, you know, Walter Jones and David Yost decided to do other things with their careers, but they did still do other stuff. I mean, you just think the skill was there, but unfortunately, I think they all got tarnished with the brush of you were a Power Ranger. And and yeah. until, oh, I want to say until way past 2010, that wasn't a good thing. Like at a certain point, the nostalgia factor started to work in their favor, but for most of their prime in inverted commas, no, nah, it was it was it just crippled them. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that comes from. It, it's funny, Power Rangers is a bigger, more successful show than almost anything else in Hollywood, but it's still a pariah in Hollywood. And part of that is because the way Saban Entertainment structured it, it was non-union originally. It sort of existed outside of of um, the hiring pools um, from where TV directors and TV writers come from. And so it's always presented a, a very difficult barrier to cross to break into any kind of mainstream success. Yeah, unfortunately, this is the same conversation people are kind of having with other stuff going on, like stunts, for example, being nominated for Oscars and various other things that are going on in Hollywood. But you take the like the most basic level of research about small independent film studios and the response from Hollywood is always to just basically freeze them out. If they're successful, they're successful because they've done it without Hollywood. And there are definitely people that have done it. And I mean, Haim Sabani is one of them, regardless of personal opinions of the guy. Um, but it's the same for like, uh, several of the independent studios of the eighties that made action films and to a lesser degree, the nineties. But unfortunately, yeah. they all reach a point where they just give up. They go bankrupt or they change into something else. Saban did it. Uh, I think Roger Corman did it, uh, Canon Group did it, New Image did it. You know, it's like a lot of these companies just get to a certain point where they just, it's not worth the effort anymore. George Lucas, uh, Lucasfilm. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the biggest, most successful one. And he always hated Hollywood, stayed up in Northern California. And he, yeah, there was always an antagonism towards him and, and his work and it was always very difficult to get things made, especially outside of Star Wars or Indiana Jones. And yeah, it seems like he's he kind of retired once he sold off uh, uh, all his stuff to Disney. Exactly. But I will say there are many, many episodes of Power Rangers where you can enjoy these guys doing really cool fights and yeah, I mean, Time Force is a great example. You know, I I wouldn't say there's any bad actors on Time Force. Mighty Morphin, you know, it's not bad actors as such as it is. Just that wasn't the focal point of the show. You know, yeah. it's a it's real easy to look back at a show thirty years later and go, ah, they they their acting sucks. And it's like, well, that wasn't what they were there for. They were there to sell toys to kids, and those kids bought those toys, and it made the people that made that show billionaires. So. Yeah. They did what they were supposed to do at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, it is funny to always measure is acting good or is it bad? Well, if it connects with the audience, uh, if people have an emotional connection with the performance and 
especially if it has longevity and crosses, you know, international boundaries, like in the case of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And that's all it needs to do. It's, you know, it's unfair to compare some Oscar nominated, you know, classic actor who nobody watches their stuff, (laughs) you know, to like (laughs) massively popular star who people are willing to, you know, just line up for and and go crazy for. Uh yeah, I mean different they're they're different measurements for acting. I completely agree. Um I've kind of said a similar thing on my show before. Uh I try not to be negative. I prefer to keep things positive, but I have said, you know, I talk about action films, so of course what I consider to be good acting is going to be very different to what the Academy thinks of as good acting. <laughs> but also sure. You, you kind of hit the nail on the head, which is that some of the films I talk about, yeah, they're niche and not many people have heard of them. But some of them have been seen by millions of people in several different countries, and it's not even the language that they speak. Ironically, Power Rangers actually fits that bill because it was broadcast pretty much everywhere that would have it. I think it's like 290 countries or something ridiculous. But so many of these films that I cover have been seen by so many people, and yet one very specific set of people look down on it and therefore yeah. it's not a success. And you're sat there going, well, the problem is mate, the rest of the world doesn't agree with you. And that's why sometimes you end up with this wonderful difference like on websites now, because obviously you couldn't track these things for a long time, where the critic score is terrible, but the audience score is amazing and the film makes billion dollars. And you're sat there going, who is really wrong, you know? Yeah, yeah, like... Those Resident Evil movies are bad, but I love them. (laughs) They're real enjoyable. And they made billions of dollars over the course of the franchise. It's crazy. If you look at the the actors who have like career highlight, biggest box office, you know, Mila Jovovich is up there. And few people in critical elite circles would say, oh, that's a great actress, you know. She's one of the top tier Oscar nominee contenders or whatever. But go to like a random city on random continents. People will recognize these movies and these movie stars, you know, and that's that's ultimately, I think, the greatest uh, award for entertainment that you can measure. It's really entertaining people. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's one of those things where, like Power Rangers, you either just have to commit to engaging with the material on its level, or you don't. And if you don't, that's absolutely fine. But don't then waste your energy trying to convince everyone else it's bad, because the rest of us can, or do, or want to, however you want to look at it, you know? Mike, who hosts the Action for Everyone podcast, along with Liam and Vice, he's been saying something similar to that for as long as I've known him, and I completely agree. It's the same reason why so many people are confused why when I rate a film, if you were to put all my four-star rated films side by side, they're not all four-star films. And it confuses so many people. And it's like, well, the degree of difficulty of making the thing matters. Yes, you can't know that all the time. I mean, just speaking with you, I've learned stuff about Forever Red that I wouldn't have known without talking directly to one of its creators. But there's so much material out there 
for most films to tell you about the problems, the issues, the challenges. And just in general, getting a film or television show made is a genuine hurdle. And no one really does it for fun because it's not fun when you're in the thick of it. And, you know, if I'm looking at a film that was made by 20 guys who've just come out of film school or maybe haven't even gone to film school, but they've put together a martial arts action feast that is well shot, well choreographed. The performances are insane and they probably shouldn't be doing it, but it looks amazing. So whilst they're young enough, go for it. And that's a four star film, but it's not going to be a four star film in the same way that, I don't know, one of the Star Trek films are that is made on multi-million dollar budget or the same way everybody started falling over the new Dungeons and Dragons film. I still can class them in their own respective way. And I do the same thing for Power Rangers. I don't think I've ever said to someone that doesn't really know me, oh yeah, you should watch Power Rangers. It's a great show. You know, there's like 2000 episodes. You'll love each and every one of them. (laughs) You know, I've never done that. It's only people that I know are into specific things. And even then, I will tell them specific seasons or sometimes even episodes. It's like, yeah, don't watch all the episodes. Just watch this one because that we will give you the most enjoyment and engagement. And if you like that, maybe watch others. But so many people can't do that. And to try and drag us back to the point, you were talking about legacies and how these things are remembered. I'm very curious, like, you wrote Forever Red for, what, 20, 23-ish years ago? Yeah, 21, 21 years. So it's 2002. 21 years. Okay. So the fact that you're sat here talking with me, because uh, I'm telling you that Forever Red is one of the most popular episodes of Power Rangers, end of. And there's, you know, Watch Mojo ranked it number one, and so many independent YouTubers have ranked it number one, uh, and the best team up episode independently from those two factors how does that make you feel all these years later i suppose it's very gratifying it's um i'm i do feel it was very frustrating working on power rangers because a lot of the times it feels like we weren't able to make the show we wanted to um there would just be a million things from the studios, from Disney, from the higher ups that were always holding us back or changing and collaborating would often dilute the real joy of the episodes past the point where I would want to sacrifice. Forever Red, I think I was ultimately pretty happy with, and I've only grown more happy with over time. Because at the time, once I made it, having made it, you're looking at it like, ah, damn it, we cut that Oracle line. Or uh, you can tell Danny Slavin is not lit quite the same way as the other characters in this scene. And uh, I wish we could have had Kimberly or this or that. But once you have a little bit of distance and time from that, you you can start to just appreciate it as a as a work the way the way I think the audience appreciates it. And, you know, having been a Power Rangers fan, I think it's the kind of episode I would have liked, you know, working with all those guys and respecting them and knowing, or at least at the time, most of them were very happy with how it turned out. That's, that's all that, uh, that matters to me. It's like, 
we honored what the show was. We gave a glimpse at how it can be something more than, and because it was a 10 year anniversary, it should have done that. And it was, you know, it's a gift to the fans, gift to everyone. And as well as a commemoration of, of all the hard work everyone put into the show. So yeah, feel good about forever red. That's why forever is in the title. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose something that I should have asked, because we, we spent a few minutes talking about Austin because of the lines and the, the, the intro, but given what has unfortunately happened, did you end up spending any time working directly with Jason Frank? Uh, I did uh, on Forever Red. Yeah, he was he was a real pleasure to work with. I I mean, it, it was very weird because I think I was like 14, 13 or 14 when I was watching Mighty Morphin Power Rangers when it first aired. And, you know, Tommy Jason Frank was just the coolest. And one day I'm writing for him and I'm working with him. It's like, you know, you're you're a bit in awe. Right. And it was it was very very satisfying working with him and um yeah i i really miss him i am sad uh uh ever since last year with his passing and you know that does sort of color uh how i can enjoy power rangers i think but maybe as time goes on uh that that feeling will will uh at least find some sort of peace but yeah, Jason Frank was one of a kind. Like I said, he was he, he could have been the American Scott Atkins. He deserved much better. He should have been uh, making all sorts of action movies that that we all <laughs> would have loved. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I wanted to see him in more stuff. And I, I can say, you know, I've said this anyway, but I'll, I'll re-say it here. I met him three times and I have a ton of stuff that he signed never charged me for it, which is a long story. But I've heard mixed things uh, for, for, for pretty much every actor. And I, I can honestly say I've never experienced it with anyone I've met. Both him and Austin have always been great when I've met them in person. And uh, due to other stuff that I do, I've spoken to Austin a few more times than Jason. But again, never had any complaints. And it, it just sucks that what happened happened. And like you say, eventually it'll get better. Yeah, and I, I will say about Jason and Austin, you know, they're they're real guys. They're very uh approachable uh in a in a kind of shocking way, you know, when I first met them because I thought, wow, these guys are the originators of this. At the very least, remove all the Power Ranger stuff. They're excellent martial artists. And generally speaking, that can often bring arrogance and ego and these guys were just not like that they were very humble very very personable people and you know they they are human beings they were forced into stardom but did not reap the the kind of benefits and rewards that they should have you know commensurate with how popular the show was and it you know, any form of celebrity is is very difficult for a person to deal with. And so if anyone has like a negative experience with a celebrity at a convention or something like that, 
uh, you know, try to try to keep things in focus. That might not be the sum total of who they were as a person. You know, try to imagine if you're in their shoes and, you know, you might have a bad day and we all yeah. can have bad days. And so I, I know Jason Frank, one thing that was amazing about him was like he he seemed to genuinely love the fans. He really loved them and not just in a narcissistic way like, oh, the fans adore me. It's like he was always he he genuinely was happy to make other people happy. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it shows how much he kind of meant to you because of the way that you had Bulk and Skull treat him. Like, the the phone call, which is such a good scene. The way that they're like, sort of, excuse me, sir, you have a phone <laughs> call. And then you sort of flip that on its head at the end where his peers are kind of taking the mick out of him. And that, that whole sequence where, <laughs> you know, they all kind of riff on him for a good couple minutes is just hilarious after Cole calls him the greatest ranger. And I, I loved those, that. I remember thinking, like, it, I knew it was never going to happen, but if if you could have had, like, an episode that's just those guys and there's no threat and it's just how do the five, how do these Red Rangers all hang out? Because they clearly do. Because they all know each other. Because they're sick and tired of hearing TJ talking about how he got baked in a giant pizza. So clearly <laughs> this is not a new thing. And, I, and that just, I remember it got my imagination going at the time, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, I loved. I love that ending. I I wasn't entirely sure as I was writing it because there are times we write comedy and it doesn't really translate um, between the writing and the execution. But that was something where like <laughs> each and every actor got it on an instinctual level. They're like, okay, I know what to do, and like Dan Southworth was kind of pantomiming with the yeah <laughs> Rex and. Yeah, they, you could tell they were all really into that scene. It's very metatextual because Tommy is the most popular ranger, but in any ranger discourse, any kind of fans, you know, a lot of people are sick of like, okay, there are other rangers, all right? <laughs> I don't have to have the same favorite as you. I like this guy or I like that one. And so that, yeah, yes. that was a way to kind of address that. Yeah, see, I was just going to say the same thing. I was going to say at some points it does feel like they break the fourth wall because, like you say, Daniel decided to do his little bit of improv with his Q-Rex chomp, which is just brilliant. But then you got Jason Faunt saying, hey, how come he has a fan club and I don't? And you're starting <laughs> thinking, but nobody knows who Tommy is. So we are not talking about Tommy anymore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So yeah, um, my last and final question, because I realize we've been going for way longer than I thought we would, but I hope it's been fun. It has. I don't know if, if this is going to be really long or really short. Sure. So there's one final like piece of either misinformation or truth that I've, uh, I'm leaving to the end because it's not actually to do with Forever Red as such. There has been a really consistent, it was way more like prevalent in the 2000s, but it's still out there now. And I'm just going to say Power Rangers Hexagon. And mm. uh, you've nodded, so this is interesting. <laughs> and that allegedly could have been what became Ninja Storm. And Forever Red would have almost been like a backdoor into it with the way that Jason and Tommy are portrayed in this episode. And from the fact you're nodding, that tells me this is not going to be short. So um, I'll leave it to you to speak. <laughs> so... 
Yeah, at the time when we were making Wild Force, you know, the Sentai is always ahead of us. So we're getting episodes from Japan uh, for the season after Hyakuju Sentai Gal Ranger, which was Wild Force, which was a uh, no, it wasn't Kaku Ranger. I forget what it was called. Hurricane. Hurricane. That's it. And I loved it because obviously I loved Kaku Ranger. I loved ninjas, and this was really cool. I I didn't like the three rangers though. I felt like I was cheated. Like what the hell? I I want five minimum, six preferable. <laughs> <laughs> but now we're only getting three. And, you know, one of the biggest uh, regrets I have with Forever Red is it's a very testosterone-heavy show. It's like all men. So, no female characters, and now we're only going to have one female character in Hurricane. But then, you know, you learn as the season goes on, you know, there's going to be like another team of Rangers. And so, we're looking at it, analyzing the footage, and well, how much of this is usable? What can we what can we take? What can we reshoot? And what are we going to do with it? What are we going to call these things? And so the idea of hexagon was something I was coming up with where it would be something we were, we were doing a lot was we had time force and light speed rescue, which I think fit the sensibilities of Jonathan Sikorp, where the Rangers are almost kind of a paramilitary organization. And so hexagon would have been similar to that where the idea would be you have the three rangers work for kind of this like governmental organization called the hexagon the hexagon being a you know six-sided object a reference to the pentagon you know the u.s military's headquarters and their leader would be tommy would be jason frank and then you would have this other team and their leader could be austin st john you know jason and this could also be a way to kind of work in more opportunities like we had on forever red where we're seeing various seasons interact like this ranger talk to this ranger and you know maybe we bring back villains and stuff and so really kind of uh stitching together the power rangers um world you know a world where there are multiple teams multiple power rangers out there they all kind of live their own own lives they're fighting their own villains etc but Hexagon would be a way to, you know, take us across the Power Rangers universe. They'd, they'd go to Angel Grove. They'd go to Turtle Cove. They'd go to Mariner Bay. So that was just, you know, in the idea stage. And Disney was very evasive about what they were going to do. And they ended up uh, getting rid of everyone. <laughs> Moving the show to New Zealand for cheaper labor costs. and uh yeah no hexagon <laughs> no i always find it funny too because aside from the fact that that sounds amazing like that would have been so surreal to actually see that finished given the footage of hurricane that you had but also just the idea of bringing jason and tommy back not necessarily as friends but i i've heard hexagon was like this mythical thing I remember on the internet in the 2000s because so many people talked about it and the rumors were just flying everywhere. (laughs) And I saw something recently, this is what made me think about it, where uh, someone posted that you guys were going to make basically a female Thunder Ranger 
to even out the teams because otherwise they would have been uneven. And I'm like, but they didn't get that far into production. Surely they wouldn't have yeah, gone that far. I would love to do that. I mean, just hearing that, like, I would be all for it. But yeah, I don't, I don't think we would have uh, dared to dream that far. <laughs> <laughs> the irony is, as well, is it took a, lo- a number of years, but because I, 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 I don't know if you've seen the Hasbro shows, but Beast Morphers kind of basically did your idea with Grid Battle Force. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've heard of that. I, I haven't really seen much of Beast Morphers. Uh, I think I saw the first episode and that was it. Yeah, because obviously they didn't bring back uh, past Rangers or anything, though they certainly had the opportunity to. It kind of sucks that they didn't, but they had. They they eventually revealed that they had access to all Power Rangers tech, and like they tried to bring all the continuity under one roof and sort of smush it together, but also explain that they're not all in the same continuity. But it doesn't matter now because we can portal between all of the different realities and timelines, so we're all connected. Which, yeah, in all honesty, is probably the easiest answer to are they all connected at this point? Because there's so so many that don't. But the fact that you guys were thinking about doing that all the way back in 2002 is just, yeah. I mean, I I get it. I understand why Disney moved it over there, but that that would have been so cool to see. It is funny how I, yeah, I've I've had this, I'm going to stop posting these aborted ideas on my blog because uh, it is funny how in 2002, 2003, you know, I had, the hexagon and then the tagline was like whose side are you on you know being like there's two yeah. ranger teams and then marvel a couple years later did their civil war which used that very tagline and they pitted iron man and captain america and all the heroes on one side i'm like man everyone thinks this was a pipe dream or whatever and now you all love it when marvel does it and well, so, the, the funny thing is, as well, uh, with with Marvel specifically, yeah. ah, damn, what was that comic book called? Ah, but, but like, they didn't even, I'm going to get, like, probably roasted by comic book nerds when I say this, but they didn't come up with that. You know, they were basically ripping off J. Michael Straczynski's comics that were written specifically about the idea of what if superheroes disagreed philosophically and went to war with each other over it because they couldn't agree. And that was e- even older. I don't remember exactly when that Rising was. Stars. It might have been Rising Stars. Yeah. But um, again, like you say, it's like this idea of whose side were you on, it seemed to be in the water around about that time. And I don't know why. It's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. That's one of the problems with writing. You'll come up with an idea, not be able to make it, and then a couple of years later, you see someone else, you know, also pulls from that zeitgeist or whatever and they're doing something similar and you're like god damn it i had this (laughs) yes but at the end of the day i think what you did what you were able to do with forever red was great it's a shame that disney left you guys in the lurch and it's it's one of those things at the end of the day it's like it it happened 20 years ago but i'm sure it's still it's like ah if if only you know there's so many people I, I've seen footage of like those last days in Saban HQ because um, Bruno from MMPR Toys, who obviously also worked on Wild Force as like the in the props department, so many people who are just going about their jobs, and you just think, 
It must have been so surreal to think this time next year, Power Rangers isn't going to be here anymore. It's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Especially for people who have been there a lot longer than me. You know, it, it, it's the rare job in Hollywood that, you know, it's stable. <laughs> You're like, OK, I know I'm going to still be employed uh, at the end of the year or a year from now. And yeah, it's uh, it's the Disney way, though, to just acquire stuff and, you know, tamper with it, ship it overseas. I'm not saying anything. They definitely haven't done that with any other franchise that they bought since Power Rangers. <laughs> nope. No, not happened. Anyway, I could sit here and talk to you about Forever Red uh, all day and probably a lot of other things from the sounds of it. I was not expecting this to be a two-hour-long episode, but that is basically where we've ended up. So thank you very much for sticking with me to the end. If you want to come back and talk about action films, you're more than welcome to any time. I would love to. I need someone to talk to about all these uh, these films. <laughs> hey, I mean, podcasting is a great excuse to just sit down and do exactly that and pretend that you're working at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So thank you once again a bit for coming on. I'm going to throw it back over to the me of the future now. And hopefully the me of the future knows what he's going to be doing next, because at the moment, the me of the present doesn't. So. Uh, it pressure's on you, me. You'll have it sorted by then, right? Alright, there you go. You've reached the end, and future me does indeed know what's happening next, because I made a decision to put this episode out before some other episodes that I've already had recorded. The next episode you'll be hearing will be the one that I said would be next after the John Wick episode, which is on the South Korean film Exit. The only reason I decided to move this one ahead of it is, well... If you're, like, on Twitter a lot, you may have noticed that Power Rangers has been sort of trending, kind of, for various different reasons, and Cosmic Fury has kind of, shall we say, been getting a lot of press, not necessarily in a good way, and there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of hatred and division in the fandom these days, and Forever Red is very much back in a time when I'm sure there were still people that had issues with it i mean i was one of them like i said in the in the recording this show was about where i would have probably naturally tapped out especially after how good time force was but because i had three younger siblings and a younger cousin i was kind of kept in the game and then at a certain point i just was like ah you know what i still enjoy this i don't take it seriously but it's 20 minutes it's just a bit of fun and that's how i've pretty much always continued with it so I figured that perhaps putting this out now made more sense than waiting a couple episodes, plus the fact it was a lot longer than I originally thought it was going to be, although I did manage to trim it down by taking out some of the the, the off-topic stuff and the can't-air-that stuff, which, well, you know, our actual conversation was closer to like two and a half hours rather than an hour and a half, but again, a lot of that was just us talking about films, so again... I have absolutely no doubt that Amit will be back and I want to give a big shout out to him for giving up so much of his time to talk to me. He was an absolute delight and fingers crossed that we'll get him back on soon to talk about something that he can really sink his teeth into that he didn't write. And uh, if you're also wondering, you know, I didn't really spend a lot of time talking about the action. At the end of the day, I wanted to hit the narrative beats because I'm talking to the writer and I think I did that. Obviously, as it turned out, he was actually on set filming a lot of stuff, so I feel like we got a cool 
got some cool tidbits uh, that we might not have known otherwise. And I'm, I love this episode, you know, it's on YouTube. So the link to that will probably be at the bottom of my Twitter post. Won't be able to do that on Instagram. But if anybody hasn't seen it, you'll be able to. So either way, guys, that's going to be it for today's episode. Monday should be the episode for Exit. And then after that, it's going to become a bit more of a question mark. The episode after that will be on Accident Man 2. And then it really is dealer's choice because I'm pretty much going to be on new stuff. So it really depends what gets recorded first. So be excited. There's a bunch of new stuff coming your way soon. But either way, guys, take care of yourselves, stay safe, and I shall see you all in the next one. On the Action Addicts Podcast.